Hi, welcome. It's Kenny Russell, Bulldozer Faith. We're living life in the spirit. It's the last great day. We've just uh, completed the seven days of Sukkot. Now we've uh, been having our high Sabbath on the last great day. And what a blessing it is just to come and spend some time around the world. I hope this uh, message will find you blessed and encouraged in Yeshua. I want to press in on the scriptures today. And I want us to receive uh, from heaven today a message of encouragement, of strength in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Um, I just want to you know, point out, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what I shared on the red heifer the other day. I'm not going to repeat what was on that broadcast. Uh, you can go on YouTube and you can see you know, what's the significance of the prophetic sign of the red heifer coming to the land of Israel and why I'm pretty much against it and you know just let you hear some of the uh, information on that and you can you know you can study it for yourselves and and see what you think of it uh, yourself that's fine but uh, I want to press in a little bit uh, expanding on that a little so you can understand why I made the statement because we have a problem today and that is that people don't even understand what the gospel is we have the gospel of the kingdom and you know we spend all of our time putting the plumb line down helping people understand the gospel of the kingdom so why are we confused concerning today's Judaism let me tell you something. If the Jews today come and make a sacrifice in the area of the temple, if they do temple sacrifice right now, it's going to be an abomination before God. It's not going to be accepted before God, and it's not going to be pleasing before Him. Why? Because it will be out of rebellion that it will be delivered. Out of rebellion. Why? Because the Messiah has come. He's paid the price. And yes, look, you know, we can talk about different sacrifices, but you know, you can even go to the scriptures and see that there's sacrifices brought before the temple in heaven as well. And... Uh, we might hit on some of those points uh, and some of those scriptures. But anyway, I went on a quest really to delve in deeper on how can I communicate in a more clearer way on dealing with, uh, you know, who we are in Messiah and how we should be living our faith, how we should be functioning in our faith. And there's a scripture that causes a few problems. I shared this just last night briefly. Uh, at the end of Sukkot, just in a little hello on the Facebook page there. And, uh, you know, appreciate all the greetings as well for uh, Sukkot. Blessings to you in Yeshua's name and the different countries and places that have wrote to us. What a blessing. But in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, when we deal with the man of lawlessness, it's an interesting scripture and it seems to trip up. Uh, Christian Zionists, evangelical Christians, and, you know, many Christians as well as uh, people within the Messianic and the Hebrew roots types of movements. But, you know, let's just read what it says. It says, concerning, I'm um, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, uh, just so you know where I am. Concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and uh, our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and uh, brothers, not to be, uh, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teachings allegedly from us, whether by uh, a prophecy or a word of mouth or by letter, um, asserting that the day of Yahovah has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will come. Uh, for that, that day will not come until the re rebellion occurs of the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction, he will uh, oppose 
and will exalt himself over everything that is called Elohim or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in Elohim's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And this is one of the key scriptures, you know, that people stand upon, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 as well. But these scriptures, they stand on these scriptures. And, and what are they saying? Well, there has to be a third temple, so it must be a temple of the Jews. And, you know, my viewpoint over the years has always been, well, maybe there's got to be a temple. I don't know. I don't understand this in the fullness. But one thing I do understand, I understand very clearly, it's not going to be a temple on the basis of Judaism. That's not what's going to be built. It has to be a temple that is honoring before God. So anyway, I decided to spend, you know, my Sukkot pressing in, just dealing with the dwelling of Yehovah, what it truly means to dwell with him. I want to know him more. I want to delve deeper. I want to experience more of him. And, uh, you know, we see Yeshua prophesying about the destruction of the temple. And I, I want to read this in Mark chapter 13 and just pull out a few scriptures here. And uh, then we're just going to press into the scripture. So, Father, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for the last great day. Thank you for this opportunity to press in, to know you, to, to walk in your ways. May your Tanakh be alive within our lives. May you speak to us in a powerful way. I pray as we read the scriptures that you will open our eyes and just set our hearts on fire. Lord, we don't want to be the same. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's our spiritual act of worship. There we are making sacrifices all right without, <laughs> already without the temple or the temple location. But Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us today. That's our prayer in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hallelujah. also want to encourage you right now, if you're watching on social media, YouTube, or uh, one of the other social media feeds, take a moment, share this message with others, because the content of the things we're going to share is going to be such an encouragement, and I hope it's going to be a blessing to you. All right, Mark chapter 13, the destruction of the temple, okay? As Yeshua was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones... What magnificent, uh, magnific magnificent buildings they are. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Yeshua. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Yeah, what a statement. You know, you want to be popular, win friends and influence people. You know, now you're touching that holy cow right there. Do you see... All these great buildings, replied Yeshua, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. You know, when there's been destructions and things destroyed, you know, very rarely do you see every single stone being cast down. But that was Yeshua's prophecy, and of course that came to pass. Verse 3, as Yeshua was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us... When will these things happen? And what will be the sign uh, that they are all about to be fulfilled? So Yeshua said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Now, we've shared many times, you know, every time you see that scripture, watch out, no one deceives you. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, you know, what does it say? Uh, or I'm trying to think where the scripture is. 
I've got a new Bible here, so I'm trying to go through it. But anyway, it says, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, where is it? Um, <clears throat> anyway, I can't find it in five seconds, so I won't go there. But anyway, we see many scriptures where it says, don't be deceived. Uh, you know, this is important. This is something you should remember. Yeah, don't forget this. And, you know, we find that the very things that we're told not to be deceived over, not to forget, they're the very things that we forget. Isn't that true? So it says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he. Not coming and just saying I'm a Messiah. They're coming and saying I am Yeshua HaMashiach. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in, in various places and famines, and these are the beginnings of birth pains. So what's it basically saying? Don't be deceived when people come claiming to be his name. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Well, so why is it people have got their earthquake apps on and they're going, oh yeah, there's more earthquakes today than there's ever been. Oh, when we have this war, that means Yeshua's coming. When we have that war, Yeshua's coming. How do you think they felt at the end of the first world war? Oh, it must be the time when Yeshua's coming. What about the end of the second world war? Must be the time of Yeshua's coming. There's many wars and many things that have happened. And what's Yeshua saying? He says here very clearly, don't be alarmed. You know, this is not the focus. Yes, all these things are going to happen. These are the beginning of birth pains. You know, it just reminds me of that scripture in Romans chapter 8. Let me just turn there. Um, Romans chapter 8 verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So, you know, this dealing with suffering, dealing with life in the spirits and, and pressing through, you know, we understand what creation is experiencing, what it's going through. And, you know, the groanings, the birth pains uh, of childbirth right up to this present time. How long had this been? Thousands uh, of years had gone by with these birth pens. And it says these, these are all just the beginning of birth pens. It's not saying this is the end of time. It says in verse 9, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils to be flogged in the synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you will say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Ruach HaKodesh. It's the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So they're asking, how will we know about this time? And Yeshua is like, listen, there's going to be all these different signs, all these different things happening in the world. Don't be alarmed at these things. You know what? Can you just focus yourself on the 
on the mission here. And what's the mission? That we preach the gospel. What's the mission? That we are faithful to proclaim the name of Messiah. This is what we are called to do. It's what is expected of us. Yes, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to experience some suffering, and that's going to be okay. But, you know, when you open your mouth, it's not going to be your words. It's going to be the words of the Spirit. Let the Spirit speak. So what do we see in verse 12? Brother will betray brother to death, and a fatherless child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what are we called to do? Not prepping. You know, I'm about sick and tired of all this prepping nonsense that's going on. Thinking uh, People thinking that all we've got to do is have communities off in the wilderness to protect ourselves. Listen, I'm more interested in the suffering part. I'm more interested in paying the price. I'm more, more interested in being the witness and the testimony of Yeshua in the days that we are living. I, it doesn't matter. Look, they flog you. They take your life. It doesn't matter. Do you, you, know, do you not know who you are? You are born again, spirit-filled, washed with the blood of Yeshua. Let's be a witness and a testimony to this generation. Don't shrink back with your prepping system. You know, can God not provide? Can he not make a way for you? He will make a way where there seems to be no way. So verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. <laughs> okay, when you see the abomination of desolation, all you pre-trib rapture people who think that you're all going to be taken up, before any of these things happen. Here's the words of Yeshua. What's he saying? When you see these things, right, it says, let the reader understand. You know, this is something important. Let, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one uh, on the housetop go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women, nursing mothers. Pray that this uh, doesn't take place in the winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when Elohim created the world until now, not even to be equaled again. Wow, man, we're talking about a serious event taking place. Unequaled unequal to anything. So you're going to understand what day it is. You're going to understand exactly what is happening. When this desolation, abomination that causes desolation is standing where it doesn't belong. Okay, so this takes us to the, the scripture in the Second Thessalonians that we just, uh, you know, just want to read, you know, concerning the, the man of lawlessness, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by a word or of mouth or by a letter, as uh, um, uh, set, settling that the day of the Lord has already come. You know, don't be startled by this. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will, uh, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose 
and will exalt himself over everything that he called Elohim or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be Elohim. And this is the scripture that really trips people up in many ways, because what we see from this portion of scripture, we see that this this man of lawlessness, what is he going to do? He's going to set himself up in God's temple. Okay, so there must be a temple. That's our thoughts, isn't it? There must be a temple. And I want to open up a few things, and I just want you to think about what I want to share with you tonight, and I want to encourage you uh, with these words. You know, we see something very interesting as we come into the life of Johannan ben Zechariah, John the Baptist. You know, what does he come doing? He comes and he offers forgiveness. He says, come and be mikvahed in the wilderness and uh, repent of your sins and be forgiven. Guess what? No temple. You know, when he sees Yeshua, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of Elohim who takes away the sins of the world. Guess what? No temple. What does Yeshua come to do? He comes to mikvah. He comes to bring forth the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, at the times of Yeshua, they... They taught in the temple that the only way that one could receive the Spirit was to be in the presence of Yehovah, to be in the place of the temple. So what is the temple? It is the shadow of Messiah. Why? Because we see him coming, I think it's John chapter 2. Um, got a couple of notes out here, but, you know, not really interested in doing notes, but I just wanna want us to get... Uh, um, you know, just as the Spirit leads, what we need to hear today. You know, what does Yeshua do? Uh, he comes uh, to the temple, right? Um, where are we at? The Jews then, re- oh, this is uh, John chapter 2, verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Well, what did he do? Man, he's just come and uh, he starts clearing the temple course. What does he say? This temple, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. What authority do you have, the Jews are saying? Who do you think you are? He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. You know, verse 21, it says, but the temple he had spoken of (coughs) was about his body. And I want you to think about that a second, you know, because we know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We know. And uh, uh, Malachi chapter 3, let's just go there, interesting scripture. Uh, We'll just open up here. Uh, When you see the call of who is recognized to be Yohanan ben Zechariah, which we see in Matthew chapter 11. But in Malachi chapter 3, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, Yehovah, you are seeking, will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says Yehovah Almighty. So who's coming? So here is Johanan ben Zechariah. He's the one preparing the way. And, you know, let's read Matthew chapter 11, and then we'll make a comment on this. Um, Matthew chapter 11 Uh, 
Okay, right, verse 9. Then what did you go out to see? Talking about, oh, let's go back to verse 7. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. John's disciples, they came, hey, are you the one or should we wait for, look for another, right? And, you know, he's, Yeshua says to them, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. These who wear fine clothes are kings in kings' palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there is not uh, risen anyone greater than Yohanan, the, the mikvahist, the Baptist, the immerser. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law uh, and the law prophesied until Johanna, until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So, you know, we go into Micah chapter 3 and, and you know, we see this, uh, I'll send a messenger ahead of you. I'm going to send a messenger who'll prepare the way. This is Micah chapter 3. And what's he saying? Suddenly, Yehovah, the one you are seeking, Yehovah, the God you are seeking, he's going to appear, he's going to come. He's the one. He said, I'm going to come to my temple. So Yeshua, what does he do? He comes to the temple and he says, listen, this is my father's house. It should be called a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of robbers. And, you know, what we are seeing through the midst of this is we are seeing the importance, you know, we see in Isaiah chapter 56, my house will be called a house of prayer, not just for the Jews, it'll be called a house of prayer for the nations. And I encourage you to just take a note, Isaiah 56 verse 7, go read that whole section. So, you know, another thing that happened, Yeshua teaches his disciples to pray outside of the temple, you know. You know, and, and that's when we see that, the, the fig tree and, and uh, the different, uh, I think it's in Matthew chapter uh, 14 and things, East, or Mark, uh, these things start to open up. You know, but what's Yeshua doing? He's teaching them how to pray. He's saying, uh, listen, you know, um, let me go back to the scripture. Uh, my house will be called a house of prayer. That's Mark chapter 11, you know. Get these pages to go around. Yeah, in, in Mark chapter 11, you know, after he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, he's in there turning over the tables. What does he do? You know, he goes out, he deals with the cursing of the fig tree, right? And they're like, wow, man, Peter, he's like, this is crazy. Look, the fig tree that you cursed, it's withered. He says, have faith in Elohim, Yeshua answered. Truly, I tell you, anyone who says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their hearts, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, right? Uh, forgive them. And your Father in heaven may forgive you 
your sins. Wow, this is powerful. This is powerful stuff. You know, Yeshua, he's preaching outside of the kingdom. So, you know, in, in Second Thessalonians, as I'm going through this scripture, I'm like, Father, explain to me what it means by this man of lawlessness, that he is going to exalt himself over everything. Give me a clear understanding of this passage of Scripture because many people are confused. Um, they, 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 they're, they're selling out to this temple of Judaism, and we don't want to sell out to Judaism. We want to be faithful to Messiah, walk in his ways. Listen, Judaism has an antichrist spirit. It's against Messiah. So we know it's not of Messiah. It has an antichrist spirit. You know, there's so much that goes on in the land here that has an antichrist spirit. The government has an antichrist spirit. What are we giving to? What are we sowing into? Why are evangelical Christians given $100 million a year to organizations like the Temple Institute that are going to build a structure and a system and uh, sacrifices that are against the will of Yehovah. You know, and, and it's because of this deception. You know, Christian Zionism's deception, they are totally sold out into the ways of Judaism. They don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the reason why Yeshua came, why he died. They don't understand, you know, uh, you know, that at Mount Sinai, it was the Messiah who married Israel. It was not the Father. It was Yeshua the Messiah. And the whole reason Yeshua had to come to die so that they could be set free from that covenant. And, you know, I'm going to read about that, actually, uh, from the book of uh, Hebrews. And, uh, oh, man, we could just read the whole book of Hebrews and just... Uh, light up all this and have a holy fire with this. But I want to read from Hebrews chapter 9 because I want to focus on understanding the temple. How do we see the temple? Well, I don't see the temple of Judaism, and I want to make that very clear. So let's just read Romans or Hebrews 9, and let, let's just, you know, bask in a little bit of scripture here. And, you know, listen, I want to tell you something. One thing I've noticed, I've been walking in the ways of Torah uh, properly, you know, following the Feast of the Lord and the Sabbath for the last 10, 11 years. And through that time, I watched people, you know, coming into this understanding, waking up to the roots of their faith. And, and you know what they end up doing? They end up getting dressed up in costumes like they're part of the first century. They, they look like walking down the street like they just came off the set of The Chosen, you know, <laughs> in Texas. I'm like, can you just be normal, you know? I remember the day I was in the UK on a 21-day tour in the UK just uh, doing outreach and, and teaching and ministering. I decided 21 days, my wife's not here, so I'll grow a beard. You know, she didn't like a beard, so I grew a beard for 21 days. Man, I had over 500 messages. Oh, you've arrived. Oh, hallelujah. You have a beard. Now you're, now you're truly walking in the truth of the message because you have a beard. Well, maybe that's why I shave right now because guess what? I live in the land of Israel, and in my village right now, maybe 20% of the men have beards. 80% don't have a beard. I walk down the street. This is the type of clothes that people wear walking down the street here in Israel. How do people around you look? You know, don't set yourself up like some freak, you know, some crazy person. Maybe someone right now who's watching, you need to go back and look at the pictures of yourself before you came into Torah and look at your pictures just now and just ask yourself the question, why do you have to look so ugly and so old-fashioned? Why don't you just 
be normal. Why? Because we are called to make a difference to those around us. We are called to take the gospel of the kingdom of this generation. You will be known by the love you have for one another. So here's the question, known to who? Known to the not yet saved. And here's the problem we have today. People are so dressed weird. They've got so much strange stuff going on. They're trying to be more Jewish than you can ever imagine. And they think that they've got to be living in the first century <laughs> of, uh, of biblical times. Or some people are trying to get all the way back to Noah's Ark, you know. And, you know, with all your prepping and all your stuff, getting ready for wars, rumors of wars. And I want to tell you, just stop it. Just be normal. Uh, and if you go back and look at those pictures and you just get that scale coming off your eyes, wake up. Be normal. Let's make a difference. We'll be known by the love we have for one another. To who? To those who are not yet saved. How do they see you? They can't even see your love because they're thinking, man, are you in some production? Why are you looking so weird? What is wrong with you? I don't want to be surrounded by wackos. I want to be around real people who are genuine in their faith, walking in the things of God and want to make a difference in today's world. Let's bring Yeshua to this generation. You know, let's not try and bring people in this generation back to the first century clothing dress, head dresses and head, head coverings and all different types of, of crazy stuff. Come on, let's just be normal. Be who the Father's called you to be. All right, rant over. <laughs> okay, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship, also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstands and the, the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden uh, altar of incense and the golden covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim uh, of the glory overshadowing uh, the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in details now. Verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regular into the outer room to carry out their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood which he uh, offered for himself <clears throat> and for the sins of his people that had committed an ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing, um, was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. That's an interesting statement and something I want you to underline and just recognize. They were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Why? Because it was covering the sin. It wasn't taking away the sin. They had to look forward to the finished work of Messiah, you know, like we look back to Yeshua. So, it wasn't giving them that clear conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremony washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. There's a time of a new order. 
You know, that's what we've got to understand. But when Messiah came, the high priest, as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through uh, the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. And, you know, we have Abraham, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they did not live in uh, lush houses. How did they live? Man, they lived in tents and temporary dwellings for three generations because they were looking for a city not made by human hands. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, how do you want to live your life today? You want to live like that? You know, I've become even more undignified than this. We've got to press forward and see the glory of Yehovah manifest within our days. You know, so he went and, you know, uh, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. Hallelujah. He didn't enter by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are uh, outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to Elohim, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living Elohim. Oh, hallelujah. So we see the cleansing of our, our conscience. It wasn't cleansed during that first time there, but now we see the work of Yeshua, what he did in that tabernacle not made by human hands, not part of this creation. He brought forth his blood. He offered himself unblemished to Elohim. He cleanses us from our conscience, from the acts that lead to death, so that we can serve the living God. Listen, we are free in Messiah. The blood of Yeshua has set us free. We walk in the freedom. You know, that's what it truly means to be born again. Are you truly born again of the Spirit, or are you just religious? There's many people agree with the Scripture, but they have not surrendered their life to Yeshua. They haven't given their life over to Yeshua. You must be born again. Hallelujah. Verse 15, for this reason, Messiah is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Hallelujah. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Interesting statement coming up here. Interesting that it's talking about in the case of a will. Why is it talking like this? Let's let's think about this a second. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. Okay, it never takes effect while the one uh, who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood when Moshe had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people. He took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scrolls and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which Elohim has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled 
with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law required that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Wow, what a powerful statement. But why is it we have in this portion of Scripture, right, verse 16, we talk about the sins committed under the first covenant. Then we see what? What did Yeshua came? What's the reason for Messiah coming? He came because of the sins of the first covenant. And then he goes on and he explains, you came under the blood, but there's a will. There's a will that's taken place. Why? It doesn't take effect until the person dies. So how did they get set free from the death sentence of um, uh, basically the curse uh, that they were under because of their sinfulness? How did they get set free from that sin? By Yeshua dying. He paid the price so that they could be set free. And this is the importance on that will that's taken place. Yeshua was married to Israel at Mount Sinai. He died. His will came into effect. He paid the price. The husband died. Romans chapter 7 talks about the importance of the husband dying. You know, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I don't, I don't want to go back into stuff that I preach all of the time. But, you know, this is important that we understand. It says in verse 11, Therefore remember that you who are formerly Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without Elohim in the world. But now in Yeshua the Messiah, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Yeshua. Hallelujah. He died. He paid the price. So the northern kingdom and those who um, of the nations, because the whole gospel is about the nations, those who come to Messiah will walk in salvation. For he himself is our peace, uh, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is Ezekiel chapter 37, the two sticks becoming one. I'm going to make you into a nation. You'll never again be scarred. You know, I will never again scar you. That's, that is what is in the process of happening. But it's not just about Judah coming home. It's way bigger than that. He says, I'm going to bring reconciliation, right? And in one body to reconcile both of them to Elohim through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Hallelujah. So anyway, I'm not going to go on and read this. I've got a teaching on this. You can go online and listen to those teachings on the gospel of the kingdom on Ephesians chapter 2 and stuff. But what I want us to get is I want us to get to that place of understanding that the will came into effect. Yeshua paid the price. For what purpose? What is he trying to do? Let's just read it. You know, you have the hyssop and everything within the temple has to be covered, you know, with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So Yeshua's blood had to be shed. So verse 23, it was necessary then for uh, the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What an interesting verse. So everything that we had in the tabernacle here on earth, they were just copies of the things that are in the heavenly realm. But guess what? You know, there had to be sacrifices done on the earthly, but it says that, hey, guess what? There's better sacrifices than these in the heavenly. And we're talking about Yeshua. For Messiah didn't enter the sanctuary made with human hands, 
that was only a copy of the true one, he entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in Elohim's presence. And when you think about this, Yeshua is our mediator. He is the mediator between us and the Father. Hallelujah. Am I getting ahead of myself? <laughs> he entered into heaven itself, not, not uh, now to appear for us in Elohim's presence. Not that he entered heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Messiah would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all, um, once and for all at the accumulation of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hallelujah. Verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Messiah was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's an interesting statement. Well, you know, I prayed the prayer, now I'm saved. Here's Messiah. He is coming to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's why you have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the fullness of salvation. Romans chapter 13, your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Yes, we can walk in the Spirit. We can walk in the fullness of God. We are betrothed to Him. We can come against the devil. We can come against the assignments of evil and see the victory in Messiah. Yes, we can do all of those things. So I encourage you to read uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 and be encouraged with that. But, you know, coming back to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, do we have to have a temple? And, uh, you know, I started breaking down uh, the scripture and, and looking at, uh, you know, the strongs on this. Uh, and it's, it's naos is the word for temple here. The strongs number 3485, naos. And then I realized that there is um, uh, ne, nechos, neos, uh, that's how you say it. I realized that basically in the portion of scripture that we are looking at, right, it's not talking about the word temple. It's talking about the holy of holies. And that's what it's stating here. And, you know, we understand that you don't have to have a temple for sacrifice because we see that in the book of Ezra, actually. Ezra chapter 3. Um, if you go to Ezra after Chronicles, Ezra chapter 3, uh, you see what happens after the destruction of the first temple. They're coming back in. They're getting things all organized. What do they do? They start getting uh, things together. And guess when it happens? It happens at the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month. It's Ezra chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, they begin to offer burnt offerings to Yehovah. Though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not been laid. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, the structure of what is going on and, uh, you know, dealing with the temple, understanding the Holy of Holies, that place. Does the false Messiah have to have a temple that he walks into? Or is it about the place of God's choosing? So, you know, we have an interesting couple of scriptures here. Uh, let's just bounce around a couple of them. 
um, if I can get my, my brain into action here, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, <coughs> in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, we, we talk about um, uh, love and obey the Lord, uh, chapter 11, verse 12, it talks about the one place of worship. And, you know, what, what is Moses speaking about here? He, in this chapter, is telling the people, look, I want you to understand when you get into the land, there's going to be a place that Yehovah will choose within one of your tribes. There's going to be a place where he will set up his dwelling. And, you know, verse 4, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way, not in the ways of these false idol worshipers, you know. Uh, verse 5, but you are to seek the place Yalva your Elohim will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there, to put his name there for his dwelling to that place you must go. Okay? And it talks about, you know, further down here in verse 7, you shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because Yalva your Elohim has blessed you. Verse 11 then to the place Yehovah your Elohim will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, these burnt offerings. And what's interesting about this portion of scripture here, this is using the same word here for dwelling. It's talking about there's a place I'm going to put my name. In verse 18, instead you will eat, uh, you will eat them, this is, uh, you know, the offerings, uh, in the presence of Yehovah your Elohim, at the place Yehovah your Elohim will choose. Well, you know, let's look at the place that he chooses. How do we understand that? And um, we see an interesting uh, account in the scripture with David in First Chronicles chapter 21. You know, what does David do? Man, he's gone through all these battles, right? He's winning all these battles. Everything's really cool. Everything's going great. You know, God's given him promises. Um, you know, he's like, oh, man, verse, uh, chapter 17, I, I want to build a house for you. I want to do this. And, you know, you know, I've built my cedar house. I need to build a house for you. And uh, he says, uh, he says, no, you're not going to be the one, but your son, your offspring, uh, verse 17, 12, he is the one who will build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. Okay. So then you get to chapter 21. And what does David do? He does something really strange. You know, every victory that has happened with the wars, you know, dealing with the Philistines, the Amorites, um, you know, just all the different victories that he has and all the stuff he's going through. Yeah, he's drawing closer to God. You know, he is seeking after the face of Yehovah. Then he comes to uh, chapter 21, and guess what it says? Satan rose up, Hasatan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Come on, David, who are you listening to? Are you in the presence of Yehovah? So, so what is this? Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba uh, to Dan and report back to me that I may know how many there are. And, you know, this is what David is saying to Job. Um, the commander of the troops, you know. But Joab, Joab, sorry, he replies, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over my Lord, my king. You know, he's basically saying, look, this is not the way you should operate. You shouldn't be doing something like this. This is dangerous. Man, you're testing God. You're basically saying that your victory comes 
by your might, by your strength. And, you know, we've got to think about that within our lives. Think about the great things that God's done in your life. It's not about you. It's about who he is. So stop taking an account in your life and lifting yourself up, thinking that you have accomplished these things. Well, anyway, verse 16, he looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand. Man, this is pretty serious. It's pretty crazy what has taken place. Why? Because in 21, Gad comes, the prophet. I'm kind of like bouncing all over the place. You can go back and read the chapter later, 17 to 22. But in this portion, Gad, the prophet, he comes and he says, Hey, listen, take your choice. Here's three uh, judgments. You can choose one of them. What do you want? <laughs> you know. And in the end, he says, listen, I, I would rather take the judgment directly from the hand of Yehovah rather than from the hand of my enemies. Okay, so three days, you're going to experience some pretty tough stuff. 70,000 people die in the plague because of David's sin. Man, this is pretty crazy stuff. And, and David, he's like, what am I going to do about this? How do I deal with this? And he, he comes before God. He says, was it not I, verse 17 of 21 of uh, First Chronicles, was it not I that ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd? Uh, it's me that's sinned and done wrong. They're, they are but sheep. What have they done? Yehovah my Elohim, let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on the people. And the angel Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to Yehovah, where on the freshened floor of Arua, Aruna, uh, the Jeb Jebusite. So David went up in obedience, and this is powerful what's taking place here because something is being established within the scripture. You know, he goes up and there's um, Aruna, uh, he's in the freshened floor, and uh, he sees David, he bows down before David, and David says, hey, listen, let me have this site of your freshened floor so I can build an altar to Yehovah. And Aruna, he's like, you know, take it, you know, what can I do for you? You know, bless you, you're my king. You know, whatever is pleasing to you, you know, I'll give you my oxen, I'll give you my burnt uh, offerings of the freshened uh, sledges, you know, for the wood and the wheat and the grain offering. But what does David say? He says, wait a second, I insist on paying you the full price because this offering has to cost me something. You know, it can't cost me nothing. So David, he pays Aruna uh, 600 shekels of gold and so on. And he builds the altar to Yehovah there and sacrifices burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on Yehovah and Yehovah answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offerings. Now, where is this taking place? This is Mount Moriah. That's where he is. And, you know, what does he say? Then the Lord spoke to the angel, put the sword back in your sheath. And at that time, when David saw that Yehovah had answered him on the freshened floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there. The tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses has made in the wilderness, uh, and the altar of burnt uh, offerings, um, were at that time, they were at the high place of Gibeon. So David, he couldn't go before him to inquire of God because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David says, the house of the Lord God is to be here and also the altar of the burnt offering of Israel. So, hey, this is powerful. He's basically saying, 
this is the place of the temple. This is where it's going to be. He speaks to Solomon. Be strong, courageous. Do not be afraid. Chapter 22. And, you know, he says, this is, this is the place at the end of chapter 22, in verse 19. Now devote your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of Yehovah Elohim so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of Yehovah and the sacred articles belong to Elohim into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. So you go to Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 3. Man, I hope you're enjoying this. We're only 51 minutes in, I think. Second Chronicles chapter 3. And is it chapter 3? I might be wrong. Hold on. Maybe <laughs> Ezra chapter 3, I was thinking. Second uh, Chronicles. Where did I... Maybe it's... Uh, hold on one second. I'll find this. I'll find this. Solomon gave orders to build the temple. Chapter 2. Began to build the temple. Uh, oh yeah, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the temple of Yehovah uh, in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, the place provided by David. He began building on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Wow. So what do we see here? We see that this place this threshing floor. This is the dwelling place of Yehovah. And I want us to really recognize what's going on here. You know, First um, Kings chapter 9 uh, is another scripture. Um, I want you to, to recognize what's taking place here and just witness how God is setting up his holy place and how that false messiah, what type of things are we looking for that false messiah? We're looking for him to stand at that um, dwelling place, that holy of holies. And it doesn't need to have a temple. He just needs to set him up in the place where the name of the Lord is that's been established forever. Um, it says in First Kings chapter 9, um, verse 3, Yahweh said to him, I've heard the prayer and the plea and of, uh, that you have made before me, and I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And this is the key scripture that I want you to get. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So what do we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? We recognize that this is the place. This is the place that the false Messiah is going to put himself. And, you know, what's he going to do? He's going to set himself up and he's going to say, I'm God. Uh, you know, this, you know, he's, he's going to say, hey, look, the very fact that I've set myself up in this place and I'm not dead, it means that I am God and many will be deceived. So we don't need the third temple of a false Messiah. So, you know, where is this taking me in the midst of this study? You know, there's there's so much more, you know, we can break down into, you know, different portions of Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, 11, 12, Revelation chapter 12. 
you know, there's so many places that we can look at uh, to bring these truths out. And, you know, I just want to uh, whet your appetite with some of this and just encourage you that how do I see the tabernacle? Well, I see the tabernacle first through the gospel of Yeshua. I recognize who he is. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the dwelling place. Guess where the name of the Lord is right now? It's upon you. It's upon me if you're born again of the Spirit. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit within you. We have the name of the Lord upon our lives. But there is a place, as we see in 1 Kings chapter 9. I'm going to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. He's put his name there. And that might be under the Dome of the Rock or somewhere on uh, the Temple Mount location. But let me tell you something. We are not going to participate in the Ford Temple of Judaism. Hallelujah. We want to stand and make a declaration. You know what? That is not what we're going to do. You know, what's the whole purpose of sacrifice anyway? Let's think about it. You know, the sacrifices, they're done to achieve a purpose. As we read, uh, you know, in uh, um, Deuteronomy chapter 12, it talked about, you know, what's the purpose? We also saw the sprinkling in uh, chapter 9 of Hebrews. You know, all of the blood had to be put over everything to sanctify it. The sacrifices had a purpose for what? so that the, the sanctuary would become pure, it would become a place for the dwelling of Yehovah to be amongst us. And I want you to think about this right now. As we look at the temple, we look at the name of the Lord, and we see how he puts his name here in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. It's vitally important. Never lose touch with that. You know, what's going down here in the Middle East is vitally important. There's war in the heavenlies against Satan, and against his assignments. And listen, Christian Zionism, uh, a lot of uh, Messianic Judaism, they've bought into so many lies. And I believe this is the time of the unraveling so that we can truly bring the gospel of the kingdom to this generation. The whole assignments of what we see in modern Zionism is antichrist. It's against Messiah. Let's just say it as it is. Listen, we've got 70 years more uh, of proof of evidence that what is being built here is not built within a biblical order. You know? And I don't need to be insecure on that. I know what's going on in the kibbutzis in this country. I, knew what, I know what's going on in the technology world within this country, in Tel Aviv. Let me tell you something. They're not all sitting there having a prayer meeting to Yeshua, witnessing the blessings of God coming down as they're praying in the Holy Spirit. That's not what's happening. We are seeing the prosperity and the agenda of what's going on in this land is anti-Christ. It's against Messiah. That's why ministries like ours go through persecution because of that. So I want you to think about your life as the dwelling place. You've got to sanctify your heart. You've got to ask yourself the question, is Yeshua in every aspect of your life? Are you living the way that the Father has called you to live? Is there things that you need to deal with in your life? You know, I want my life to be a reflection of His glory. I want that wave offering before the Lord to be one that says, you know, this, this is not really what we wave before the Lord. This is just some wheat here. But you know what? to be waved before the Lord to say, I thank you for, your, for the provision you've given me. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your revelation, for your prosperity, for how you have blessed me. May we make a difference for your kingdom. May our life count. 
for its eternal purpose, not just for what we have here on earth. So I want my life to be a sanctuary for Yehovah. So let's just talk about the feast just in closing here. What's my understanding of the feast? You know, I really, I really sense that sometimes my understanding is changing each year as I go through things. And I, I say, God, do I really understand these things? I listen to teachings and I go through the scriptures and I press. And one of the things I was looking at today is, you know, if there's no pre-trib rapture, how do I understand the Feast of Trumpets? It's the proclamation of his name, the trumpet. When we look at the marriage covenant, the process of marriage, you know, what did Yeshua say? I'm going away, but I'm going to come back for you. I'm, I'm coming back for uh, the bride. You know, in today's world, you know, everything's about the bride. We're not looking for the bridegroom. We're looking for the bride. That's today's world. But in the Hebrew wedding, it's about the bridegroom. And the bride goes away and then that trumpet blast comes, that light, that slither of the moon is seen. And guess what is happening? Then the the bride has taken her lamps like, you know, the ten virgins. You know, have you got a lamp to go, to go to the bridegroom? Uh, the bridegroom, he stops. He doesn't come all the way to the bride. Uh, uh, the bridegroom stops. He doesn't come all the way at the bride and say, hey, you know, jump on the back of my horse. Let's go for a ride. No, that's not what he does. He, the, the trumpet blasts go out, he comes, his light shines, and we look unto Yeshua, we look unto the bridegroom, and then we go to him, and then he takes us to be with him. That's the Feast of Trumpets. Then what happens between the Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur? You know, Yom Kippur is the salvation, the deliverance of the nations, yeah? It's also, at the end of Revelation, it's the judgment seat, it's the great judgment the separation between the sheep and the goats and the judgment over all the world, right? Then we have those five days between uh, that to Sukkot. So what's Sukkot? It's the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the marriage celebration that goes on for seven days. Then we have this interesting thing called the last great day on the eighth day. It's an interesting study to go down and see all the things on the eighth day. Um, you can just pull up so much of the scripture. You know, Just put in your Bible search eighth day and just start looking at all of the places where it talks about the eighth and the eighth day. We understand that, you know, sometimes people will say it's new beginnings, it's the new. It's not just about the seventh day, it is moving into the new. It's uh, moving into um, the new heavens, the new earth, that's what it's talking about. But, we, you know, on that seventh day, is that seventh day Sabbath, it's the millennial reign of Messiah here on earth. You know, some people want to dismiss the millennial and just mash it all into the coming of the new Jerusalem, but I don't believe that's how the scripture portrays it. I believe that we will have that millennial reign of Messiah for 1,000 years. It will be a thousand year Sabbath before Yehovah. And then the, the devil will be released again and people will fall away, people will be gathered, and then we'll move into that whole process of, again, the feast cycles, the eighth day, and then we'll move into the new heavens and the new earth. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Yeshua. So I hope this little simple understanding is helpful. But more than anything, I want you to understand my heart. How do I see the temple today in the land of Israel? Am I looking for a temple? Am I even looking for a Mercianic temple? Do I need a Mercianic temple? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Let's rise up and be everything that God has called us to be. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And there's so much I could have shared on this, Father. 
but more than anything, I just want to get out what that uh, you want to speak to people's hearts today on this last great day. I pray, Father, you pour out the fire of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us, that we will be equipped for your kingdom, that we'll make a difference for your kingdom today. Father, may the fragrance and knowledge of Yeshua go out through us, uh, from us and bring transformation to those around us. May we be more focused on the suffering for the gospel and be those who will take your gospel to this generation rather than those that are prepping and thinking they've got to sit back and hide out in the wilderness to protect themselves. Look, you may gain the whole world, but you might lose your soul. You know, you've got to lose to win. That's just how it is. You know, you want to gain your life, you'll lose your life. So why don't you lose your life for the sake of the gospel? And Father, may that be the revelation that happens within our hearts this last great day, that we realize that we need to be about your work and about your purpose. Will you raise up the army of Yehovah for the purpose of your kingdom, to establish your ways, to establish your authority today? Hallelujah. Thanks so much for joining with me. If you've been blessed and encouraged with this message, I want to encourage you, get behind our ministry, Bulldozer of Faith, support the work that we do. You know, there's so much vision that we have and where there's vision, there will be provision. We are a mission agency to take the gospel of the kingdom to the land of Israel and to the nations of the world. And we're setting up our mission agency headquarters in Texas. Be a part of that. You know, are you called to to be trained and equipped in evangelism? Then, uh, you know, we want to train and equip you and help you in your own communities. We also want to train and equip you so that we can send you in other nations. You know, we're ordaining evangelists and pastors and looking for for those that we can support and stand with. But more than anything, we need the body of Messiah to get behind us as well so that we can raise up the resources to make a difference in mission outreach. Just think that $100 million is being given every year by believers in Yeshua into some temple institute and to things here in the land of Israel that have nothing to do with the kingdom of Yehovah. My prayer right now is, Father, redirect those funds for the purpose of your kingdom that we can send people to preach the gospel and make a difference for Yeshua. Thank you for listening today. I pray, Father, that uh, you minister to every heart, that the word will go deep within our souls, that you will uh, uh, just give us revelation by your spirit. Father, I don't want to be the same as I was last year. I don't want to be the same as I was yesterday. I want to go from glory to glory. And that is our corporate prayer today, that you will change us from the inside out, not just about us being cleansed on the outside, but we want the inside of our hearts to be hearts after you. Thanks for watching. Hugs of Mayak. What a blessing as we come to the end of the fall feast and what a, a beautiful word that we can end on. Let the dwelling place of Yehovah be within you richly. Go to buildthoseoffaith.com. Leave comments on uh, your social media, whatever you're watching, if, it, if it's Spotify on uh, on podcast or if you're watching or listening uh, through social media, leave comments. Let us know what you think of this message. Any comments, I'd love to hear. But also take a moment and who do you need to share this message with today? Who could be encouraged with this message? Thanks for watching. Till next time. Shalom. Shalom.